Your Locked On Golden Knights, your daily podcast on the Vegas Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Golden Knights. Talks are not progressing for a new contract for VGK's Nick Cage. We'll talk about that. Hi again, everyone. Tony Cardasco along with Chris Golick here from cloudy Las Vegas. Rainy, rainy, not cloudy, rainy. Rainy Las Vegas. Make <laughs> sure that you subscribe today to Locked On VGK, our brand new YouTube channel. A lot happening there. You get to see our mugs first thing in the morning and throughout the week. So, Chris... So Friday afternoon, Vince Sapienza from Channel 5, Fox TV here in Las Vegas, he tweeted out that there has been very little dialogue between the Golden Knights and RFA Nick Hague. Sapienza reported that he has been told that there's uh, not much happening there and they haven't had much dialogue since July, which we sort of suspected ourselves. Uh, We've been saying that we felt all along that there was a stalemate, perhaps nothing happening. We saw the signings recently of Phil Kessel. We saw Aiden Hill's signing. And we felt that we're coming to the realization that this might not happen. Or I know that you've been pushing all along, all along, that perhaps we might see even a sign and trade. Yeah, it, this is um, now we're at the point of concern because I think we are t-minus one week or less till the official start of camp or me it's the 21st but either way we are right around um the camp and now now we can be concerned right once you crawl into september it's like okay you gotta think something's coming and if i'm Hague, if i'm Hague's camp right now i feel a little bit of disrespect i think you've seen all these other either notable or less than notable things happening uh, Riley Smith gets prayed around town the second uh, Pacioretty is gone, obviously. And and Haig, too, was a participant at the softball game shortly thereafter that, too. Um, so, yeah, it, it's interesting. And we go back to these calculated conversations that people have to get things out there through the media, right? And now this is supposedly uh, Nick Haig's camp having, uh, you know, using using the media to get some information out there. And you almost wonder what the motivation is at this stage of the game and why exactly now is the time. But I, I don't I don't blame them. I certainly understand it. And obviously, this is going to be a combination of money and term and the two sides are yet to reach an agreement. And if it's I, again, I have no idea what's being talked about over at City National and how these conversations are going. But I just don't see him getting more than Zach Whitecloud money. Zach Whitecloud is a better defenseman. He's going to be a better long-term defenseman, possibly even you know good enough to be on the top defensive unit, not just for VGK, but for any roster in the NHL. And I get the feeling Nick Hague's camp wants more or significantly more than what White Cloud makes, and that's not going to happen. Again, I feel as though it's another black eye for the front office of VGK. I mean, the fact that they're not communicating doesn't sound very good. I know that there's negotiations that are supposed to be happening here. Uh, but it's been much ado about nothing. And, you know, you have to figure out that they there has to be some sort of an offer on the table. 
Um, perhaps there's no money left. I mean, that was one of our theories with uh, this, all those signings. You mentioned Ronnie Smith, Keegan Colasar, uh, Nick Waugh, LeShizen, on and on. Uh, Ron Bjork, they, they signed them all. And so what happens next? If he's not signed, does he just sit out this season or can he be picked up as a, a free agent? I don't know what the next move might be, but I, it's looking more and more like your narrative about a sign and trade uh, sign and trade situation could definitely happen. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do something there. We, you know, we, we talked uh, last week about some of the reinforcements uh, that are, you know, basically at the rookie level right now. Uh, Miramanov, I think once he recovers as well, could be a, you know, a solid number six too. So there are options to go in the event a Hague deal is not reached. And one way or another, there's going to be a deal made. I don't think this goes into the season with uh, Nick Hague being a notable, you know, holdout slash unsigned. I, I forgot. I got to look up the exact terms and stuff. There's, there's some weird where they can sit out a certain amount of time. And I think, and again, please don't quote me if I'm wrong on this folks. I'm, I'm guessing I'm, I'm using my best uh, EA sports NHL 22 uh, um, dialogue here, but I'm pretty sure it, maybe it goes into like December or January if he's not signed and someone can take him off our hands, but we would get like a high draft pick compensation or something like that. There's, there's something that does happen. There is a date at some point. And if I was a uh, better at my job, I would have all this information, but I'm not. So I don't. So I'm sorry, folks. And it's um, Monday morning. And it's Monday morning. It could be Wednesday morning. And, and, and it's afternoon. a rainy, I would have, day. No, I got no excuses. Day. I got no excuses. <laughs> I just, uh, I don't do that much research, folks. I'm sorry. But no, it's, but your it's gut, interesting. Your gut feeling. I like your gut feeling. No, my gut feeling is, happening. my gut feeling is maybe Nick Haig has more value not to the Golden Knights and with the Golden Knights. And that's no disrespect to Nick Haig. But if Nick Haig's camp thinks they're getting $3 million plus in four, four years a term, I don't think that is a reasonable ask. Just look at Zach Whitecloud. I mean, a plus 21, we've highlighted that so many times. He's improving year over year. And in, in a year where, you know, Bruce Cassidy is going to get his defenseman a little bit more involved, I think, uh, someone like Zach Whitecloud is going to take a step up. And if, you know, if Cassidy is more the type he wants, the active and quick defenseman, Nick Haig may not necessarily fit into that role when you already have Braden McNabb. Okay. Is Caden Korzak ready to move up to the next level? Who else would be next, next up from the minors? Yeah, I thought I had read, and again, this is something else, but I thought I had commented on a show previously about Miramanov being the next one up, and I thought someone said there is some type of injury with him. So not injury withstanding, I think Miramanov is the first one to get the call, uh, and then Korzak is probably right behind there. And then you never know what's going to happen at the rookie camp or at the AHL level once the season starts, who's going to Who's going to blossom? I mean, I would much rather have Nick Hague to be our sixth defenseman with Miramanov, Korzak, et cetera, et cetera, waiting in the wings. Nick Hague, I think, has taken major strides forward. His first year when he was bouncing big between us and the Wolves, I believe, um, I felt he was a bit slow at times. And then his second year, it really seemed to start to kind of click for him. And as long as his body can keep up with his strength and his growth and more or less his coordination for his speed – Nick Hague is going to be a very solid defenseman that can play on any top six in the NHL in the, the bottom two or bottom four. And he does have an offensive ability uh, with, with the Hager bomb, with the Hager bomb we hear so much about. He scored a few like that. So I would much rather see Hague in a VGK uniform. 
But if not signing Nick Hague meant, you know, I think Evan Rodriguez and, and Sonny Milano, I think they're still out they're there still right out now. There. They're still out there, yeah. Uh, that, that's probably another topic this week is on unsigned free agents. And, I mean, you know, I even heard people on some of the, the random VGK uh, uh, chat groups on Facebook and stuff saying uh, P.K. Subban is willing to play for a million dollars or something like that. I don't think his ego would let that happen, but I mean, for a million bucks, let's go. Yeah. And I want your comment. First thing in the morning, breaking news, Montreal Canadiens name, former VGK. I saw that uh, player. Nick Suzuki as the franchise's 31st captain. I I got that. I, I actually saw that maybe 15 minutes ago, uh, hitting my coffee. I'm like, okay, cool. I mean, we, we sign former captains, we trade captains. It's all good. It's all good. I mean, you know, I don't, of all the trades that VGK has made, I didn't necessarily mind him swinging for the fences season one, you know, trying to get, you know, getting their hands on Tatar to booster their uh, offensive ability going through the playoffs. Looking back, I think actually, if we would have been able to get Eric Carlson from the Sharks, which was the original ask, if you will. I think that actually would have led to a Stanley Cup victory, even though I'm not a big Eric Carlson fan. Um, but I think uh, Suzuki, that was, if I'm not mistaken, that was the Pacioretty deal, right? Yeah, the Pacioretty deal. Tatar, yeah, so right? I mean, in there. yeah, it's, and it's, and so here, here's, here's more of a twist then. If I recall, it was either yesterday or Sunday was the anniversary of the Pacioretty deal happening because that was all over all the Facebook groups and stuff like that. I could be wrong on that. I'm pretty sure that's how that shook out. So that's kind of interesting that uh, Suzuki is now named the captain, you know, three, four years, four, four years later, whatever the number is. But that trade, folks, is actually a monumental trade as we go off script here already. But that trade is actually a monumental trade because that was the trade right there where VGK went from expansion, happy-go-lucky to we're going to go for it every season. And they have. They've made some type of deal that shows they're going to go for it. And that trade forever, if you will, changes the course of EGK history, as crazy as that sounds. Coming up next, what can we expect to see defensively from Bruce Cassidy this upcoming season? You're listening to Locked On Golden Knights. Hey, our next partner has a product that I literally use every day. It's called Athletic Greens, and I start to use it uh, because I didn't have a lot of time to get a full meal in the morning. It optimized my immune system. And it helps me with better gut health. And also, it helps me to sleep better at night, to be quite honest. I've been using it for about three months now. It doesn't have this taste like it's super healthy. It has this mild and tropical taste. And I actually look forward to taking it each morning. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you are absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods or superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you get your day off on the right foot. And why do I consume it? Again, it just really helps me out. It helps me with digestion, too, and energy. And it's so simple, the simplicity of it. I send it to my friends. They like it as well. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, uh, paleo, uh, vegan, dairy-free, all that stuff, gluten-free. And it, ta- uh, it really does taste good, and it contains less than a gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything. Athletic Greens uses the best of the best products based on the latest science. It costs less than $3 per day. You need to try it out because you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And make sure that you uh, try it. Uh, great reviews. Athletic Greens, over 7,000 five-star reviews recommended by professional athletes 
And uh, for every purchase, they also donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, which is great, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a year's free uh, supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and also five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome back to Lockdown Golden Knights. Tony Cardasco, Chris Golick in Las Vegas. Thanks for making us your first listen each and every day. You can find us wherever you find your podcast and also on our YouTube channel, which is Locked On VGK. I am at Tony Dasco on Twitter. He is at TD Chris G on Twitter. And you could also chime in at Locked On VGK. Uh, Chris, yeah, a lot of folks out there. I just posted a photo uh, from the Aces game yesterday of shade theater and people went bananas it's it's almost hockey season it's almost that time it's almost that time no it's it's exciting and and really fast i just was researching a tiny bit during that last read and basically we have between now and december 1st to land some type of deal with nick haig there's the possibility of someone signing into an offer sheet that happens relatively rarely where we get compensation but basically if a deal isn't reached by december 1st he can't play in the NHL this year. As crazy as that sounds, he does have the option to go play like in Europe or something like that. But if something doesn't happen by December 1st, which that'd be crazy if we even got past this week, but if something doesn't happen by then, he's not even going to play for in the NHL this year. How how nuts would that be? Yeah, that would be pretty crazy. Uh, we do want to talk about Bruce Cassidy and what the identity of this defensive unit will be uh, this upcoming season for the Golden Knights. You know, I went back to an article from last season, and in so many words, he told his team, the Blue Liners, right, after they were playing in Ottawa, they needed to stop being, no, they needed to be, I can't say that word, not going to say that word, but they do needed, they needed to be nastier. They needed to play tougher. So what will the traits of this defensive unit under Bruce Cassidy be like? What can fans expect this upcoming season? That's the question there. Yeah, so this definitely isn't necessarily a strong point to mind to highlight. So like, like you know, I do for all of our um, stuff we talk about, I simply Google and stuff like that and kind of go down um, a couple different uh, wormholes, if you will, until I can find some stuff to mention. And the first thing I, I searched was Bruce Cassidy's defensive system. And one of the first articles that came up, I, I started this late last night, like around midnight, so I didn't read it too closely, but I reread it again this morning as I was waking up. And basically, it's an article uh, three years ago, so January 29th, 2020, by Jason Paul. And this is Boston Hockey Now, so this is a local Boston article, if you will. And the title is Bruce Cassidy's Tenure Defined by Defense, Backed by Rask. So you would think just by the title of that article, they would really highlight the defensive system. But everything, not everything, but a lot of the article goes back actually to Tuka Rask and the job that he did, and basically... His expected outcome, expected goals against was a big statistic that I guess is important to Cassidy as well. And there was some research about comparing task to different rask, pardon me, to different goalies and how they might fare in the system. But the entire article goes back to rask pretty much. Like I, I read it last night. I told you I couldn't fall asleep. So I read the article and I woke up this morning as I was, uh, you know, getting the junk out of my eyes and drinking my, uh, drinking my coffee, if you will. And 
again, it basically was more of a, a parade about the job that Rask did as a part of the defensive system. So, you know, the goalie basically is complementing the system or, you know, the other way around, either way, however you want to look at it. But Rask is the one that's mentioned. Um, the big thing that I got that I gather in my research is Cassidy is all about the zone, uh, similar to basketball, where the, each player has a designated area. Their job is to make sure the puck doesn't get through or a player doesn't get through. Pretty simple. Versus a John Cooper type who is more of the man-to-man. You find your man, you stick with him, and you hopefully uh, don't let any odd man rushes come. A zone format is interesting to me because going back to VGK, I felt like there was a lot of traffic in front of the Vegas Golden Knights net. A lot of times where they show that overhead shot that's right above the goalie crease and there's nobody else in the shot besides the goalie and the opposing player. And that kind of feels like what a zone defense could possibly allow to happen because the center, the center's responsibility or the off off defenseman's responsibility is kind of in front of the net, but they're also making sure the back door is covered, a pass doesn't slide through, someone doesn't come behind the net. So I'm curious how Cassidy is going to clean up the front of the nets using a zone system versus man-to-man. Okay, so he does want his defensemen to spend little time in their zone. Uh, they're all about the first pass execution. He had the likes of... Uh, Zidane Charo, uh, Charlie McAvoy, who we called the one-man breakout, right, in, in Boston. And I, I just want to talk about perhaps players that can move the puck quickly, currently, that are playing for VGK, that can get the puck out of the zone, and let's say quickly and cleanly, uh, for the Golden Knights. So who can move the puck the best? Alec Martinez. It's pre- Alec Martinez. As uh, far Martinez. as would they that move first him up pass. in your pairing? Would, would they move uh, Martinez up in the first pairing? I don't know how much the first and second pairings matter versus the first and second offensive lines. I don't know if this this day and age if that matters a ton because it's more about the matchups. But highlighting more about defense and what's important and about the breakout that you mentioned. Um, I can't remember if it was Eddie Olchek or Shane Knighty. I'm, I forgot which color analysis that I heard say this, but. If you can make a good first pass at the NHL level as a defenseman, you're going to be around a long time. And Alec Martinez is the first player that I think of that can make that first pass. Uh, I think there was one game where he did it terribly. Now I'm thinking about it. But generally speaking, Alec Martinez is going to be the smartest player from behind our net or just in front of the net uh, as the breakout is coming. Um, outside of players that are going to, you know, carry the puck first, maybe obviously that's where you go to a Shea Theodore and uh, Alex Petrangelo. Um, outside of that, White Cloud I think is going to gain valuable experience from uh, what Cassidy wants to instill in the defenseman or the young defenseman in White Cloud's case. Still, he's what twenty three, twenty four. Still, maybe maybe he's twenty five. I don't know. Again, if I was a better better at my job, I would know this off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's going to be fun to watch how. It changes, I guess, from what DeBoer did, because this is where the creativity starts or the lack thereof, if you will, with that breakout. And I thought we had some good power play breakouts. I like the, the play either where, you know, the, the a defenseman drops it back to the winger, winger gets the full head of steam and stuff like that. But you need that type of creativity and stuff like that when it's five versus five, which is, you know, what, 80% of the game is played. Yeah, and he does believe in the importance of the defenseman in 5v5, and also now under the former system, and I hate to go back there, but they struggled getting out of the neutral zone. 
And so they're, they're going to have to move the puck a lot quicker. And, you know, to that point, as you're saying, they want more redirections also in front of the net. He likes the lows to highs and uh, getting the puck out from behind the net. And the player, he's not a defenseman, but Jack Eichel, I think, does that best on this team, or at least we saw a glimpse of that. Uh, wants more foot speed. Who has the best foot speed, do you feel, out of the defenseman getting out of the zone? Uh, Shea Theodore, I think, without a doubt, is going to be our fastest skating defenseman with the puck. I don't know if, um, if like White Cloud or maybe even Petrangelo can outskate him if it was a race scenario, but I think Theodore with the puck is going to be the best. And you mentioned uh, the neutral zone and stuff like that. And uh, folks, just go back and watch like any game in season one under Galan, especially as the season got deeper for an example of clean neutral zone play. Very rarely did they turn the puck over at the red line, at the blue line. The entries were good. And the biggest, I mean, one of the many advantages that VGK had during that time was how fast they got the puck from breakouts to a scoring opportunity. Um, I don't know if this is an official stat metric or anything like that, but that was mentioned tons and tons of time locally and national uh, as far as the media goes, how quick VGK could turn a nothing play into a big opportunity. And then on the same uh, breath, going to the defensive side, how the forwards had this relentless forecheck, mainly, you know, Riley Smith, William Carlson and such like that, of just taking, you know, the other team having a little bit of laziness, you know, a little bit, a little bit of lax daisy attitude as they're coming out of the zone. And all of a sudden they're turning the puck over and they're alone with the goalie. So I think that's the first thing I would love to see Cassidy figure out a way to bring back. Okay, will this style defensively translate here in Las Vegas with the personnel that he currently has? And is he going to have to tell the defensemen that they need to be tougher? Um, you don't got to tell Braden McNabb or Nick Hague to be huffer. Tougher. What a huffer. Wow, good one. <laughs> you don't got to tell them to be tougher. They That's are tougher and, and Hague. Exactly. Huffer. Huffer. Oh, there, there we go. Okay, put that on a hockey card, folks. Um, And then outside of that, Petrangelo, Theodore, um, you know, Alec Martinez, they're tough, but they're not the type of defensemen that you're worried about that are just going to plow you like, you know, Haig and uh, more or less Braden McNabb, who's probably the best hip checker in all of the NHL. And then you got Zach Whitecloud, who is that blend of toughness, strength, speed, and skill. I mean, Zach, Zach Whitecloud is really the hybrid new age defenseman coming in right about six foot, what plus or minus a couple pounds or a couple pounds of 200, but he has the speed, he has the agility and he can perform extremely well on both sides of the ice. Coming up next VGK's fantasy projections from NHL.com. Stay with us right here on locked on golden Knights. Welcome back to locked on golden Knights from Las Vegas, Tony Cardasco and Chris Golick. And Chris, uh, we saw NHL.com had uh, projections for points for VGK players. We start off with Jack Eichel. They have him for 84 points this upcoming season. Can we get a nice middle? Because our over-under for Eichel was 90 and a half. And it's not a true Vegas line, folks, because there's no hook. You need to, that half of a goal on there, half of a point. So Jack Eichel here, three, uh, 355 game, or 375 games played. 355, 355 points. So 355 divided by 375, 0.946. So Eichel's getting points in 95% of his games right there. In 95% of his games, 
So that basically is going to translate to right around what 78 points, something like that would be the math 77 points over simply going off career statistics. I think he comes in slightly under the NHL number uh, on the article that is, as well as our number. And also a big difference is with the, I mean, listen, if he scores 85, 90, 95 points, I'm not against that by any means. And that'd be wonderful, but he hasn't had this much around him in the top, you know, nine, definitely the top six in his time with Buffalo. So his numbers, he could even put up 68, 70, 72 points this year, and it would be an extremely good season as long as, you know, Phil Kessel does his job, as long as Marcheseau keeps on going. Riley Smith, Mark Stone step up just a little bit, and even like a Nick Wah, who we talk about a ton lately, um, a Nick Wah can step up and stuff like that. So if Jack Eichel gets anywhere from 70 points on up, as long as the team is winning, that is just fine by me. I would actually go slightly under NHL's number and even probably our number if I'm really going to book this bet, which I'm not going to. This is for entertainment purposes only. Okay, I'm just thinking here. Will Will Jack Eichel be the best faceoff man for VGK this season? I know I put you on the spot. No, no, no. I'm trying to think. Um, because that's one of his. William of his Carlson strengths. might be a little bit better. Might be a little bit better. Um, I don't know Jack Eichel's face. I mean, that's the thing about faceoff stats, folks. Like, if you're fifty percent, if you're like fifty point five percent in the faceoff circle, that's doing fine. That's good. Like that. That's how as crazy as that sounds. It's a fifty fifty proposition. But if you're just over fifty percent, you're actually a very good faceoff. Uh, a face-off men, centerman. I'm not sure what the best word is, but you're good if you're over 50%, folks. Okay. They have Mark Stone, and I'm going to take the under here. They have him at 77 points. I'm going to take the under just based on the question marks that we have about his health. We don't know when Mark Stone will be returning. There's no clear definition. I think he had 30 points in 33 games. Yes, if he's healthy, that's achievable. Uh, that's achievable because he'll be on the top line as well with Eichel. And Eichel makes everyone around him better, too. Uh, but Stone, 77 points. Uh, I don't see that. Can't see it happening, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking again at his at his career points right now. 366 games, 311 points. So, I mean, I think they're doing the same thing that we're doing right now. They're taking the math, trying to, uh, you know, maybe handicap it a little bit with VGK's expected goals. And you come up with the percentage right there. Uh, 30 and 30 points, 37 goals last, 30 points, 37 games played last year. Previous season, he actually scores more points than games played, right around a point per game the season before that. I mean, yeah, I mean, health with, let's just assume he, he gets, you know, 78 games out of the 82 game season. What was the number they put up? 77. 77, I thought it was very, very high. 77 feels a little bit high, just simply based on his health. If we're talking Mark Stone four years ago, I'll give you, I'll, I'll take action on the over. He's going to be within probably 75 and 82 points five years ago. If he is healthy and gets most of the games played, he's probably still going to be within that range. But just based on his age and how things have been going, I will take the under and just simply because of the opportunity. Okay. So Shea Theodore is trending upwards. And one of the things that I just am always concerned about is that career high year. Can they replicate that? If they do it back-to-back years and they do better the second year, then I'm all in. Uh, But otherwise, the jury is always still out with me. Uh, Had a career-high 52 points last season. It was a banner year for Shea Theodore. And they have him at 54 points this year, up a couple. 
which could be achievable. Is it good? You know, is that a good fair number within the Bruce Cassidy system? Um, I'm, I'm just, again, going through the career stats right now. So 57 was the number, did you say? No, 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 54. So basically he had a career a career year last year as far as his output goes, the 52 points, mm-hmm. with a big lull in the middle of the season as far as his scoring and assists were going. He had, you know, he started off, we talked about this multiple times on the show, he started off hot. He ended really hot. He, Him and Logan Thompson single-handedly gave this team an awesome chance to qualify for the playoffs, folks. So the middle of the season, Theodore wasn't there. But, you know, I, I'll i give action on the over. I feel good about the over. I feel good about the tra- trajectory. I feel good about his health. And I think uh, another season under his belt. And, you know, he's going to be one of the many players, folks, that has that chip on their shoulder um, about what happened last year. You know, he's been here for, you know, since uh, day one and not – you know, this is the first time not making the playoffs. So he's definitely uh, going to be uh, going to be aiming. He's going to be improving and he's pretty healthy. Knock on knock on wood. So I'll take the over on Shay Theodore's output. OK, one of the things we do have to discuss on Wednesday, we do have to get into the fact that Mark Stone and the other players are talking about this said chip on their shoulders. Horrible offseason. A lot of questions from fans and friends and family. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Talk could be cheap sometime. And let's see what they do on the ice. That's that's where I'm at with that. Um, Alex Petrangelo, uh, they have him at 46 points. Didn't realize he had 227 shots on goal last season and uh, 13 power play points. He's going to be an integral part of Bruce Cassidy's uh, the power play unit for sure. And then Jonathan Marshall, so they have him at 60, uh, 66 points, I think, was his total, which is rather high. But he's a 30-goal-per-season uh, sort of a player, and I think he'll have a good season, and I think we're going to see some of Jonathan Marshall so on that top line with Jack Eichel. That's what I've been saying. I My line one um, has been a combination of Eichel, Marchessault, and then uh, once Phil Kessel came in, I think Marchessault has that finishing ah, Kessel's ability. a line three guy. Come of por- on, of course, he's a top nine option. Of course, he's a top <laughs> he's, nine option, according be. to McCrimmon. <laughs> um, I, think, I think player. I, I think I think, I don't know. I mean, either way, I think Marchessault and Eichel are going to be together, which is going to help Marchessault immensely. And if it is Eichel, think about the space he'll have out there. Ah. So just based on that, I'm fine taking the over for Marchessault. I think uh, he's been trending the right direction. His health, again, knock on the same piece of wood I just did, um, has not been in question. And Petrangelo, he's been shooting at everything that moves. And we know Cassidy is going to get the defenseman even more involved so someone like uh, Petrangelo, who loves uh, playing the offensive style from the defense, his mouth, he's going to be salivating right now at the opportunities he's going to get. So give me the over on what the last three, right? What do we say? Uh, um, we had Theodore, Theodore, we had Petrangelo, Petrangelo and Marchessault. Give me the unders on the rest. Marchessault, 66 points. Give me the over. That, that little guy is going to do it. He's going to do it. Give me the over. 30 goals, two assists. this season. No. <laughs> <laughs> we thank everyone for joining us. Uh, we appreciate you listening and making us your first listen each and every day. Now make your second listen. Locked on NHL. Locked on experts give you the daily 30-minute podcast on all things NHL all year long. Stay up to date on everything in the hockey world. Locked on NHL, your daily 30-minute NHL podcast. For my man, Chris Golick, I'm Tony Cardasco. Back again on Wednesday right here on Locked on Golden Knights.